Welcome to Bat Therapy, the psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. So I'm super excited about today's topic because I actually introduced this comic to Keaton, which I never thought would happen. Yeah. <laughs> and he loved it. I Oh my God, I did. So I, first thing, I hadn't read a ton of DC's Black Label stuff, which is oh, meant to so be good. like their darker, kind of edgier stuff. Because I, I know that I don't think Vertigo really exists anymore. And so everything that was under Vertigo went under DC's Black Label because it's, I meant, think you're right. it's meant more for adults. But the, the comic we're referring to is Harleen by Stephen Sage. And if you are listening and I butchered your name, I'm very, very sorry. I Googled how to pronounce it, and that's what they told me. Anytime <laughs> and, you and... want to come on the podcast and tell me hey, how, there you go. I'm here for it. I I am also a wee bit ashamed because uh, the Slavic names run in the family, so I probably should have known. But, uh, you know, we do the best we can. We've been Americanized. <laughs> <laughs> this comic was amazing. And yes. honestly, those of you out there listening, if you have not read it yet, don't listen to this episode. Go read it. Because read I'm it, not read it I, now. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a pretty quick read because it's only three issues. They're they're long issues, but it's mm-hmm. only three issues. But this might be one of the best comics I've read in the last decade. Ooh. I absolutely loved it. It was so well written. The artwork is phenomenal. And it was a great story. Right? It was it's a so great good. story. Because we're talking about Harley Quinn today. Yes. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, which when when you think about a Batman podcast centered around mental health and therapy, like we had to get to her eventually, (laughs) right? We had to do it. Yeah, yeah. We just like, it kept being like, oh, we got to do Harley Quinn. We love Harley Quinn. Oh, man. How? There's just so much. So so we just narrowed down to one thing to focus on today. <laughs> yeah. And so what's fun about this is because for those of you that don't know, Harley Quinn is the Joker's girlfriend for quite a long time in the comic books. But before she was his girlfriend... She was his psychologist at... Psychiatrist. Okay, she's... Okay, psychiatrist. There's a reason you're confused that I will get to. Okay, cool. (laughs) She's his psychiatrist at Arkham Asylum. And Mm -hmm. something goes wrong. She ends up falling in love with him. And there's a lot of things that happen. And (laughs) they end up... Like, she ends up helping him escape. And they go on the lam together and... It's just this whole thing. But she became very popular because they introduced her in Batman the Animated Series. She mm-hmm. she was not originally a comic book character. And 
people fell in love with her because she's a very funny character but i also love that from time to time even when she's in her wild and crazy harley quinn mode there'll be little snippets of oh by the way i am a phd mm-hmm. and i'm absolutely brilliant and i absolutely love that about her so so here's the flag on the play okay <clears throat> Okay, so many of you listening may not care, but for those of us in <laughs> in mental health, um, there is very much difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Yes, I understand that they sound very, very similar. <laughs> so people often get this confused. Like, for example, now I don't remember from watching it. I'll have to watch again. But for example, in Birds of Prey, She Mm -hmm. talks about being a psychiatrist and then in another part mentions having a PhD. So psychiatrists are MDs. They are physicians who have a specialization in mental health. They do get some training in therapy. Nowadays, it's not nearly the same as it used to be. So I was actually looking at some information. It used to be like back in Freud's day, which is one of the most you know, well-known within mental the mental health field. Back then, psychiatrists were doing both medications and therapy consistently all combined together. But over the years, they've become more founded in the medication side, and psychologists and some others who do therapy have been more solidified on the therapy side. So I was seeing that only like 10 to 20% of psychiatrists these days actually do therapy. So Keaton, this is probably where psychologist keeps coming to your brain because you know I'm a psychologist and I do therapy, and she's definitely represented in a way that's more consistent with what you think of for a psychologist these days yeah at at no point in there does it ever really talk about medication being prescribed she's doing a lot of research which is definitely something that more reminds me of phds and academia Mm -hmm. more so than psychiatry now now some psychiatrists do do research Mm -hmm. but a lot of times, if you have psychiatrists that are more in academia doing research, not always, but oftentimes they'll have like the dual MD PhD, which right. Ooh, I don't even know how you guys do that. Congrats to you. I will never do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you you tend to see so in psychology. There are a few different ways that you can get trained, but there very much are some that are tend to have more of that research foundation, less common with psychiatry unless you've got kind of that dual going on. But once again, plenty of psychiatrists that do research. But yeah, you're right. The research itself feels very psychology. It's I mean, she she wants to scan their brains and like see how there have been like potential physiological changes and that sort of thing. But she's doing a lot of interviews and um, her her approach. Yeah, it, it does feel very psychologist. Yeah. So first things first with her in this story in particular, she should have gotten a therapist. <laughs> Right. It might have helped. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. because it they, been good. Yeah. they they go into her backstory when she was getting her degrees in college and things that happened to her and things that just kind of stuck with her. I don't know if mm-hmm. there's an educational fancy word for baggage, <laughs> but she's yeah. definitely got some stuff that she's holding on to that I it's think. True was a huge detriment to her and you see it Mm -hmm. throughout this graphic novel 
Yeah. So uh, she even at one point, I I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but she essentially talks about how they say it's bad to be your own therapist. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, here's the thing. I think it's becoming better these days, but I I think it is kind of tricky. Like there are plenty of mental health providers that are like, I need therapy and are more than happy to like do that. But then there's also this like part of you that sometimes goes like, what does it say about me if I can't just fix myself? And it's like, what? You don't expect anyone else to. It's okay to get a therapist. Like, yes, I, I wish I wish her friend who she had asked for medications from illegally, I, I wish that that friend had actually, I mean, she was trying to like suggest different things, but yeah, therapy didn't come up and that would have been helpful. <laughs> Yeah, I felt so bad for her because she's going through all of this stuff and she's this brilliant psychiatrist, yet Mm -hmm. she can't sleep. She's always stressed. And so her coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms are alcohol and caffeine, which Uh like, like it's like, oh, you're mixing uppers and downers. You're Mm -hmm. sporadic. You're not getting any rest. Yep, yep. she was hey. a mess and then went into Arkham. <laughs> I know. I know. Now, now, okay. Arkham kind of spurred some of that, but you're right. There That's was true. stuff that had happened. She wasn't on a good foundation to start off with. She had. She seemed to have a lot of self-confidence issues, and she wanted to work with and understand a very tough population to work with. And I admire that. And you're right. She actually has some wonderful skills. Like she connects with Poison Ivy and like gets her some sunlight to help her. There's something good there. But yeah, she didn't start on the most solid foundation. And then you go in, you're doing this tough work. And there were already these little hints that her ability to have healthy boundaries wasn't set too great. Right, because even in college, it's like, oh, you are you are definitely taking some leaps and bounds that aren't necessarily healthy. Yeah. So sleeping with a professor, not too great. Right. Now, now in her defense, she was not the one in the power position, so we don't know the full story there. At least the way she portrayed it, it seemed kind of very. It consens- didn't seem like it seemed consensual. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was a power play, but mm-hmm. I mean the. The roles are still the roles that they are. And of course, she got shamed and, you know, how these things go. But yeah, so so that hints at things. And, and even early on when she's trying to help herself, like she reaches out to her friend to slip her strong pharmaceuticals under the table instead of, I don't know, going to a psychiatrist. <laughs> you probably know of plenty. <laughs> if only. If only, you know? And and yeah, the uppers and the downers, that's unfortunately a very common thing. When when someone's really struggling with sleep and they start getting desperate, you'll see people taking something to zonk them out and then taking something to keep them awake during the day. And it actually ends up causing more and more problems because what zonks you out makes you actually have low quality sleep, can make it hard to wake up. Then you take what you you were saying, caffeine, something that's an upper. And then that actually makes it hard for your brain to be able to then go into sleep later on. So it's this like vicious cycle of insomnia that's going on for her. A whole heck of a lot of stuff going on. I'm having a lot of flashbacks. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to have some caffeine issues yeah caffeine but yeah so one of the things i do think is really cool is that she is not cynical 
despite mm. living in Gotham City. Gotham yeah. City is is just it's surrounded and the air is filled with cynicism, right? Mm-hmm. But she's just this go-getter that's like, I'm going to change the system. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to fix everything. And it's always great to see that. But every time I see it, I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> she's, the, world's womp, about, womp. the world's about to hit her. This is going to suck. Like I, <laughs> because Because that's... That's how life is sometimes. Mm. That's really how life is. You know, I'm a teacher. And I remember when I first became a teacher, I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna change mm-hmm. the system. This is going to be great. Yeah, we're underpaid. But you know what? It's going to get better. And the entire time I was at my first school, it never got better. It just got worse. And it wasn't the school. It was the system. Mm-hmm. And how held back we were my school that I was at was actually very very progressive and so we did have some leeway being at a university but the system and the bureaucracy it just kind of brings you down because Mm -hmm. you're trying your best to actually help students when the only thing people really care about it seems like is test scores and Mm -hmm. it's like you're you go high enough and it's people that have never taught before. And so there's so many times that I think we all just are in these places or in our jobs, wanting to change the world and make things a better place, but we get hit with Mm -hmm. just negativity. Yeah. It's like a wall of all of the shit that's rained down already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she's like, I'm going to do it. And not only that, one of the things I thought was really interesting was Bruce Wayne backed her. He was That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he was like, "You know what? I hope that she can change them." And that's one yep. thing I really liked about it because this so this book had so many different stances. Dr. Quinzel was the main focus, but then you also got a lot of story about Harvey Dent. Yep. You got a good bit about how Batman thinks about the mm-hmm. criminals of Gotham. And so it was really interesting to see all of these perspectives because one thing that really made me happy was <laughs> by the end of it, Batman's the most hopeful one. And you're like, oh. <laughs> didn't expect that. <laughs> didn't expect that. Plot twist, baby. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is actually a bit refreshing because so, so before we were recording, we were kind of laughing to each other because Doctor Strange is in this. And there's nothing obviously villainous about him in this story. Hugo, Hugo Strange for oh, you I'm Marvel, sorry, what did I say? For you Marvel oh. people out there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot more than one Doctor Strange out there. So Hugo Strange, <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I don't know. <laughs> and, and he's definitely like the old hat. I've been in the system a long time. I've been beaten down by it. And oh, here's this new spry person. Just you wait and see, which unfortunately is like you were talking about with teaching. It happens in our system, too, with mental health. And the more you work with people who are more disenfranchised or are kind of seen as lessers in some ways, like in the criminal justice systems and the state hospitals, like sometimes these aren't the programs that tend to get the most money or attention 
because, uh, you know, people in some ways will say, oh, well, they deserve it or we don't know what to do with them or – and so just there's a lot more systemic stuff sometimes that can kind of pile on in some ways. And so you even you, – you see that exactly what you were talking about. So it was really nice at the end how one of the old hat people actually – ends up having all of this hope kind of moving forward with Harley Quinn, hoping to to pull back out some of that Harleen Quinzel. Yeah, definitely. And on top of that, when we when she first goes in to Arkham, Hugo, like you said, Hugo Strange is just doing all this pushing back. But at the same time, he's like, you know what? Go for it. Yeah. If you want to try, I'll be here to say I told you so after the fact, but... <laughs> You know what? I'm going to let you go. But the what's also bad about this and something that we always see, she experienced a very traumatic event <laughs> before going into this new thing in this new realm. And not only that, she had to take a look at and be around the person, the that, person. that caused mm-hmm. that traumatic event. And, and that's interesting because majority of the time, you never have to do that again unless it's something like you experience trauma and then you have to go to like the courtroom and testify or something like that it's a, it actually happens quite often actually i mean think about it like uh someone who is physically or sexually assaulted within the home or by someone seen as a trusted individual in the community or unfortunately for some people this is a fairly common thing but in this case it was more of a criminal thing that happened out in public where you're right once that person is like arrested and taken away you're right in that you you tend to not you know be around them anymore unless you know you're going through the court proceedings and stuff and you know and that was one question i had for you too because when we look at a situation like this where she had a previous encounter with one of her potential patients. At some point, there's a conflict of interest, right? Like somebody would have... She alludes to this too. Yeah. And so I was going to ask you, whenever you get a new patient, do you ever have to go through a system where it's like, okay, answer some questions, make sure you don't know this individual. Okay, they can officially be your patient. Or Mm. is it one of those things they're like, if you don't bring it up, it's your job? You know, there's not really a formal system. Now, there might be certain places where, you know, it's a smaller community or there's more like overlap in certain ways where it is talked about a bit more. You know, some some avenues, if like you're doing individual therapy and then there's couples therapy for those individuals happening, sometimes some things are discussed more. But usually it's, okay, you've got someone and they're coming. And uh, if you find out that you know them, then you let someone say like, hey, I need someone to take this client for me or, you know, find a different route or whatnot. I I thought about that for this. So the Joker is the one who like went around shooting up everything and literally goes to like kill her and decides not to. Right. So I mean, like looked her in the face that that's so they were even close by. It wasn't even just I mean, it could. I'm not saying this is less traumatic, but it wasn't even like he's kind of shooting randomly and she's around like it was an even more personal interaction than that, which whoo. And, and so I was thinking about this because I was like, you know, that's really not a good look for this. And I was like, it's also Gotham. So like, man, how many people haven't had some sort of 
interaction with the Joker that went south. I feel like he's traumatized everybody there <laughs> pretty directly. Um, but yeah, she she does allude to, and it's true, like, it's, I mean, she's doing research and, like, supposedly standardizing. I don't know. Like, she doesn't seem to have much of a method or a process to her research. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she should have been, like, consulting at the very least with someone about how to deal with this ethically. Yeah. And... Uh, even what's even worse about that is, yeah, I don't feel like in this book there was any kind of system of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. There's like at one point she turns the camera off and they're just allow it. Like, okay, I cool. was actually like, about to say Hugo yeah. Strange technically was a check and balance, right? He uh, and, and there was a security guy. I'm yeah. forgetting his name. Uh, he also checked in and she like reacted. But really, Hugo Strange, it was it, it's his job in some ways. Um, to like oversee his facility. And this is one of the times where him saying like, okay, do your thing, uh, probably wasn't best. Um, right. He's like, I sign mean, a waiver so I don't, it doesn't come back and bite the facility yeah. in the butt. <laughs> it's like, um. And I mean, so she, she made, she made a good argument for why she was turning off cameras to like do, have built some trust and have him feel like he's less being like watched and used and da da da. Meanwhile, Although she's going in there and like hooking up with him at this point. So there was, yeah, the check and balance definitely broke down there. But I mean, she was also being entrusted to do her job. So, okay. So (laughs) where do things go wrong? So, So, I mean, we've been talking about how just from the beginning, there are all these little things that build up for her. And one of the things that they did a really good job with were these little little hints that actually I see every now and then you'll hear another clinician use a little phrase that kind of alludes to these sorts of things. And and it's something to keep in mind. So, I mean, if, if you're out there and you're a mental health person and you tend to think this way, really think about where that's coming from. But she says things like, in my dream, so uh, in her dream, like something happens with the Joker and he's, I think he's still going out and doing his thing. He's, he's not changing. She said, in my dream, I feel guilty. I feel responsible. After all, he is my patient. There's a difference between working with someone and being responsible for them. Yeah. Think about that. Responsibility. You can't control someone else's actions. That's a person outside of yourself. Like there's this allusion to the fact that she's having too tight of a connection Mm -hmm. in terms of what her role is in terms of how his life turns out. And she also later on says, I want to save him. I'm the only one. I was about to say that. Who can help him. Yeah. She says she's the only one. Danger, danger, danger. Right. If you are the only one helping someone, it's not true that only one person in the entire world can help this other person. You might be the person in the best position to do so, or they might be refusing other people's help, or um, things might be a struggle or whatnot, but yeah, that I'm the only one. Yeah. Oof. That's, you're getting to really tricky territory there. Yeah. And it was, and you saw it all just play out. And it's funny because everybody, I feel like if uh, any Batman fans out there, you already know the story of Harley Quinn. So it, it's one of those things you're, you're reading about it and you're like, I know how this ends. <laughs> but like, you're still rooting for her. Right. 
and you're still rooting for because honestly this is at by the time this had come out she in the comic books she was already kind of an anti-hero like sometimes working with the suicide squad kind of doing her own thing like she's not the villain she used to be and so hearing seeing this backstory it was really cool because you got a chance like okay how did we get here mm-hmm. and i also like the way that they showed that she was in fact still at the end of it a victim of mm. the joker and it, i think it, it just it really it really pounds in like listen every single person mm-hmm. needs to take care of their mental health and another thing it made me think about was how people can take advantage of you if they mm. if they come into it knowing things about you because she had previously worked with a soldier that had killed someone right, and yeah. the topic of empathy came up mm-hmm. and he prayed on that moment like he, he being the joker yeah mm-hmm. yeah joker yeah the joker made sure to bring her in with what she already had gone through with that patient and so it was like he was able to manipulate her because he had prior knowledge about her. Yeah. You know what I appreciated about that as well? Man, there's there's so there it's such a well-written story. It was phenomenal. So, I think it's near the end. Batman and Alfred are looking at video. They're essentially replaying back some of the interactions between at that point Dr. Harleen Quinzel and the Joker. Mm-hmm. And Batman is talking about how the Joker manipulated her with this background information and pulled her in. And Alfred points out that, man, they do really look in love at the same time. And And I really appreciate that because their story is so complicated and... We like to put things in boxes in black and white, and Mm -hmm. and it ends up with us accidentally further victimizing people or keeping people stuck in bad situations because we can't understand that very different things can happen at the same time. But the Joker can be extremely manipulative and Mm -hmm. not have her best interests in mind and want to pull her in a certain way. And at the same time, he can also really care about her. Those two things can exist at the same time, and Mm -hmm. it's what kept her hooked for years. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The, the, that, you're right. That wrap up was really amazing because at one point, because Batman is seeing her completely as the victim, and Alfred is kind of like, some of this was her. Well, I mean, so, so some of it is the fact that, I mean, going back to it. The Joker, just like she can't be purely responsible for the Joker, her client, her patient, he can't be fully responsible for how she responds to him. So, I mean, we talked about these things that she breached a lot of boundaries. She made some mistakes. She made some mistakes. She could have reached out for help. She there's a there's a lot of choices that she made. And and she she hits on these things in the story. Yeah. But at the same time, he can want to harm her and really care about her. And 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 that's actually I'm trying to think of a I was gonna say a beautiful representation, but that doesn't feel like the right language. Um it I think it's a very solid representation to help people better understand interpersonal violence. And there's always that question of why does someone stay? Well, he didn't just hurt her. 
He also cared for her and wanted to pull her in. Yes, for nefarious reasons, but there's also this hint that, you know, there might have been some sort of connection there, too. Yeah, and honestly, I don't remember at any point in this story where he, besides the traumatic event at the very beginning, after that, he never physically harms her at any moment that I believe. In this story. In this story. I think you're right. He he does some emotional manipulation. Mm -hmm. He he uses information to his advantage. Um, I think you're right. I mean, at one point, I mean, she un- he's wearing a straight jacket this whole time, which is not a normal thing to be happening, by the way, these days, but it's the Joker. So, <laughs> right. you know, um, and she undoes his straight jacket and unplugs the video camera. And at one point he's like, with anyone else, I... <laughs> I I I would have done something to make you regret that stupidity. I think he even called it stupidity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there. I mean, there is something where he's treating her differently here. You're right. I think the physical component only happened in the very beginning during that traumatic situation, in which he still also, while not great, but he didn't shoot her. Right. He to- he toys around later and says, "Well, maybe my gun ran out of bullets, and mm-hmm. we'll never know." But I think you're right. I think that the threat to her physical being really was that first moment, and the rest of it, it, yeah. There's just this question mark that rides throughout it. That's very interesting. And so, and the next question I had for you, and I don't even know if this term is correct, but near the end of the book, when it's the the big finale is happening, and she made a mistake and shot the security guard. Oh yeah, that was sad. She kind of has a, a bit of a a mental is breakdown. The term it breakdown is not is it doesn't sound like a healthy word. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't that that's not like a an official term for anything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, she definitely. She has a very strong reaction, which we hope anyone would when you right. accidentally murder somebody. There, There's definitely a breakdown of something for her. I mean, it's like all of these things that were building up for her over time, all of a sudden, because this whole time she's essentially had the belief that people have this capacity for empathy and caring. And then based on and and this these aren't new theories, by the way, guys, she's not coming up with anything like super amazing here. But essentially, with these different environments, the empathy essentially leaves a person that capacity for empathy reduces over time as a survival mechanism for people in these really terrible, intense environments Mm -hmm. and and so what she wanted to study was looking at physiological changes of the brain uh which once again her methods are very flawed but that's okay that's 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 the that's the one flaw in the story whatever we can ignore that (laughs) and so here's all this stuff about this belief system and she's seeing her own self breaking down Mm -hmm. and then she sees, because I think she's seen Two-Face by now. Yes. So she's seen Harvey Dent turn into Two-Face, and she has killed someone. Right. And all this is happening very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I think this all kind of culminates. Something within her shifts or breaks in a way, kind of like her theory talks about, because she suddenly realizes what she's capable of. 
Yes. What's so bad is that she's saying what she's capable. Like you said, she's in her mind. She's like, this is what I'm capable of. But at the same time, it's like all of this is not your fault. Right. Like she because they they make it pretty clear that like she didn't mean. Oh, you mean. Yeah. So she didn't mean to kill the guy. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's an accident. At the same time, I think she's also realizing I placed myself into this this situation. Now, did I know that it would lead to this? No. But I think a part of her wonders, would I have changed anything if I had known? And I'm not sure she's sure she would change anything. And it was interesting because of, I I didn't really understand at first, because at one point, Poison Ivy saves her in the asylum. And she's like, thanks for saving me. And and Mm -hmm, Ivy looks mm -hmm. at her and says, you're not actually safe until you leave this place. Yep. And what does she do? She stays. She stays. Right. And and it was so well written. And I just, I absolutely love that line. But another thing, and we briefly mentioned him, Harvey Dent had quite the the storyline. He did. Yeah. In this as well. And I, I won't go into it too much, but it's very interesting because between him and Hugo Strange, they represent that ultimate cynicism. These people can't be helped. They're crazy. They, it, they, they. Well, he, actually, yeah. Harvey Dent is even like anti. They're crazy. Let's. Uh, we. Yeah, he's even. Yeah. We we lock them up there and then they get out. We actually, you know, he's he he's very much like these people are who they are. They're not going to change. Punish them for it. Yes. Put them away. And and Harley Quinn. She, oh man, Harley and Quinzel would have been great. I mean, she brings up these excellent points that are very psychosocial rehabilitation, which is essentially keeping in mind, like, hey, so you want to help? How how exactly are you helping things if you put a criminal into a bunch of criminals and that's all they can connect with and who they can relate to? Right. And you're just kind of like building it up upon itself, essentially. And yeah, you're right. Hugo Strange and Harvey De- in different ways mm-hmm. are definitely more cynical minded yeah. in the storyline yeah and and it's just yeah it's just interesting how they played off of each other but what was mm-hmm. so bad was part of her mental lapse at the end was because she wanted to prove them wrong and mm-hmm. she felt like at the end of all of it she didn't she actually became exactly like them even worse. She, yeah, she so desperately wants to show that there's hope in people, mm-hmm. that she just becomes obsessed with, I am the one person who can reach the Joker. And then ironically, she essentially proves her theory right <laughs> by becoming it herself. Yeah. She becomes her theory herself. But unfortunately, in becoming the theory herself, who's left to help bring her back? Which I mean, at the end, it looks like it's going to be Batman, which is kind of a nice little way of feeling a little, a little better yeah. at the end. I want, I want a sequel to this book. Mm. I want more. the The writing was phenomenal. So like good. I just, so I, good. I really, really love this. Do we have a mindful nerd moment? Of course we do. So, um, I thought maybe we'd em- we'd embrace the Harley Quinn at the end. And I thought we could do some mindful swinging of her mallet, you know, her big old mallet that she has. <laughs> so we won't think of anything in like particular. Maybe she's, you know, just, I don't know, 
hitting on a hitting a desk to break it or a window or something. Like, let's not think violent here. You know, so it's like not one hitting of those, people or anything. Is it one of those like what, what do you call those uh, the the rooms you go in where you can just break stuff? There you go. She's in one of those rooms. Yeah, I can't. Th- <laughs> she's I, just having yeah. fun. It's a stress relief reliever, right? So she's. She's getting frustrated with the Joker. She's finally at a point, like like at the end that they're hinting at with Batman, she's finally at a point where she thinks she might be ready to to step away from the Joker and all of the manipulation and everything. And yeah, she just finds, I don't know, a, a room that she can just kind of bust that mallet around, hit things, and go wild. Okay. So as per usual... Sit comfortably, but try and sit straight. Close your eyes if you're comfortable or just soften your gaze, not looking at anything in particular. And we'll ground ourselves with just a few deep breaths. If you're able to, it helps to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. But if you're not able to do that, through the mouth is just fine. And as you're taking those grounding breaths, I want you to start putting yourself into this scenario we were just describing for Harley Quinn. So you're Harley Quinn. You're in your pigtails. You are frustrated with the Joker. You're getting tired of all this mess. And you happen upon the perfect room to just be able to swing your mallet around and do some damage. But first, before you do that, you're riled up, you're angry. You want this to be a freeing moment. So you you take a pause, you've got your mallet in your hands. And you take another deep breath. And you look at that mallet. You look at the colors. You look at the textures. You notice the marks on it that remind you of different fights and battles you've been in. Maybe a few scorch marks on there. Then you close your eyes and you feel the mallet in your hands. What that texture feels like in your palms. You kind of move it around within your palm and against your fingers. Feeling the weight of the mallet and just really taking in the weight of it. Then you open your eyes, you find the perfect space that you want to swing that mallet for the first go around, you pull it back, you feel your muscles tense, and you feel them release, you feel the tension of the air as you swing that mallet, and you feel the impact with what you hit. And you just take another deep breath in, deep breath out. And just let that tension go. All right. We're going to start stepping back from Harley Quinn and back into ourselves. So just kind of move a little bit around. Shift from holding the mallet. Notice what your hands feel like in your room right now. They might be just kind of hanging open. Uh, You might be holding something. But bring yourself back to your room by just kind of moving your fingers, your hands around, moving your body. And opening your eyes, refocusing, and we'll wrap up our mindful moment. How was that? I saw a few smiles. <laughs> I So one of the things I really like about the mindfulness moments is that they can always be continued if you need to. Like, it, like through mm-hmm. that, like we broke one thing. 
But like, yep. there's a whole room there. <laughs> right. Like, there's so you can many. Imagine whatever you want in there's there. There's <laughs> so many other things I could have broken if I really needed a <laughs> needed a moment. And so I kind of smiled. It's like, man, I got there's so much potential in this room. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my first thought. But that was mm-hmm. that was really good. One of the big takeaways that I had from this is that there's always hope and and it's one of the Mm. it's one of the things that i love about about batman it's one of the things that i love about comic book superheroes in general it's like no matter what ends up happening there's always hope and even at Mm -hmm. the end of this when she's become harley quinn in the mirror you still see dr harleen quinzel Mm -hmm. i'm still here Mm -hmm. there is still hope and you know that eventually that does get through because of the character she is in the comics now. And so to to quote the Shawshank Redemption, hope is a good thing and no good thing never dies. Oh, love it. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Amelia Brown. Find me on social media at Crafting the Mind. And I'm comic enthusiast and professional nerd, Keaton Hopkins. Check out my TV and movie reviews on YouTube at TeamJBS. Check out our website at bat-therapy.com, our Bat Therapy YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. See you next week. Same Bat time, same Bat channel.